0: One, two, three, four... History Makers, History Makers, History Makers is a podcast Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill and Harriet Brain Take a look at the people who made things in the past And we talk about tech and we have a good laugh About the past and the present and the future and stuff History Makers, History Makers, History
1: Makers... Welcome to History Makers, the show that explores modern technology and the makers from history who made it all possible. I'm Dr. Lucy Rogers, or as you might know me, the one from Robot Wars. No, not the armour-plated armadillo. (laughs) We've got different hair. (laughs) Joining me to help decide if technology is our salvation or damnation is the comedy whirlwind that is Beck Hill.
2: Oh, you know what, Lucy? I think humanity is headed for disaster.
1: Well, let me be your compass, Beck, and show you that all is not lost. Although, talking of disasters, it's the first, and probably last, robot presenter I'll ever build. Our psychotic songbird, Harriet Brain. I'll be the last robot
0: this audience ever sees because all I wanna do is kill them dead.
1: All of the humans, I wanna kill them all. All I wanna do... no. <laughs> in today's show, I'll be guiding you through the basics of navigation and introducing you to clockmaker extraordinaire John Harrison. I'll be using my data banks to bring our maker to life. And I'll be locating the nearest exit in case of an emergency. <laughs> so set your ears to receive and your mind to blown, as we bring you another episode of History Maker. <laughs> history, paper maps have been a vital navigation tool and the best opportunity for couples to argue before the invention of Netflix. (laughs) For those of you who are under 25, let me translate. A paper map is a foldable display that comes preloaded with a single image. (laughs) And Netflix is the thing you now do instead of talking to other people. (laughs) Ordnance survey maps used to be packed with loads of useful features such as letters describing the environment, BP for a boundary post, CG for a cattle grid, or PO for what a farmer would shout at you if you trespass on his (laughs) (laughs) land. Paper maps also contained a scale so you could tell the distance from one place to another, making them the only known example where a man can correctly claim something that's two inches long (laughs) is actually much larger. Some people are unsure of the difference between a scale and a ratio. Well, it's easy. A scale indicates what the distance shown on the map equates to in real life, whereas a ratio won the Battle of Trafalgar. (laughs) When we describe the location of somewhere, we often use a distance or duration from another known location. For example, Manchester is 300 kilometres north of London. Sheffield is 66 minutes from Nottingham and Norwich is years behind everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Any location on Earth can be described using longitude, latitude and altitude. Longitude being the angle east or west from an imaginary line called the Prime Meridian. Altitude is the distance above sea level. And latitude is a surprisingly popular music festival in (laughs) (laughs) Sutton. Calculating longitude used to be very difficult and a particular problem for ships who often ended up sailing into unintended places, like cliffs. (laughs) In fact, shipwrecks were such a problem that in 1714 Parliament passed the Longitude Act demanding a simple and practical method of precisely determining a ship's longitude. The reward offered was £20,000, which back then was a lot of money. And in today's Brexit-bound economy, it's probably worth about (laughs) (laughs) £19,000. The solution was to find a way to accurately measure the time at which the sun reached its highest point at your location compared to the time it did so at the prime meridian. An accurate measurement of both allowed you to learn two things, how far around the world you were, and by how much you'd missed lunch. (laughs) However, clocks of the time were delicate, liable to inaccuracies caused by temperature fluctuations, and they had nowhere to dock your iPod. Methods using the moon, charts and tables were trialled, but in 1736, a maker called John Harrison developed an ocean-going clock that was more accurate and simpler to use than anything else. They, however, cost about, you guessed it, (laughs) £20,000, and so, unsurprisingly, weren't seen as good value for money. Once they became cheaper, Harrison's designs were widely used until around 1927, when the use of quartz as an electronic oscillator made clocks a lot cheaper which was a huge leap forward for insurance firms as they no longer went bankrupt when offering a free gift to the over 50s. (laughs) Nowadays, court's clocks are used in everything from bomb timers to computers. So next time you get really angry with your partner about whether you should have turned left or right at that T-junction, the solution should be obvious. Simply blame the sat-nav and then settle down to watch Netflix Netflix. and chill.
2: So what do you think there? Oh, you know what I think, Lucy. I think GPS is the worst thing that ever happened to me. No. When I was really small, my family lived in Hong Kong. I was a terrible toddler. I used to love running away from my parents and getting lost because it was exciting. (laughs) Once, while they were looking at stuff in a department store, I wandered downstairs, out the shop, and up the street. I was going on an adventure. My parents realized and ran around the store with the staff members trying to see if I was hiding. After eventually realising I wasn't there, they ran outside. A man walked up to them carrying me. I was happily sucking on a lollipop. He'd found me crying alone in the street, so he bought me some sweets and then looked after me until he spotted a terrified white couple and correctly assumed I must be theirs. (laughs) My parents were so relieved and thankful. And that's what life is about. Those adrenaline moments of joy or dread when everything works out okay. They remind us we're alive and help us align our priorities. I was a horrible child to raise. But in that moment, when my parents were reunited with me after thinking they'd lost me for good, they knew that no matter how much of a handful I was, they didn't want to lose me. Now imagine if that took place today. An age where you can attach a GPS tracker to anything. That story would just go, once I ran away from my parents in a department store in Hong Kong and they immediately found me using an app. (laughs) The end. No one wants to hear that story, that's boring. And if anything, we're just teaching parents not to pay attention to their kids. I say let kids be free, let them get lost and allow yourself to feel actual fear for once. You'll be rewarded with a deep appreciation of your child, and your child will learn to trust strangers with candy. (laughs) Now, let, Let me tell you
1: about the No Place Like Home GPS shoes that Dominic Wilcox has made. These are the world's first fully functional pair of GPS shoes. They guide the wearer to any destination, no matter where they are in the world. They've got little lights in,
2: inside the shoes, and the LEDs in the shoes show you the direction to go. Oh, that's real, that is pretty cool. I think, like, I think more things should be based on Wizard of Oz stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 but hang on, are those lights? Is it like that really
0: annoying thing on Boris bikes where they shine a little creepy green bike in front of them?
2: No, that is a good idea. I like that. Wizard of Oz would have been much weirder if they had GPS in that as well. They'd be like, we're off to see the wizard, we're here. Like, that's, like, none of this yellow brick road going in a circle. Like, none of that. That's all. Just, I think we should be using it to... Well, you could at least get Harriet a... heart. <laughs> you get me a brain. We'll get you some... We'll get you some Dutch courage. Dutch gonna, courage. Someone get this you one of. a drink, please. <laughs>
1: And now, it's time for us to solve another mystery from
2: history. This is the part of the show where we explore an unsolved puzzle from the past. Like, before they invented light bulbs, how did people know when they had a good idea? (laughs)
1: If John Harrison's clock was
2: so accurate, surely everyone would want one, no
1: matter how much it cost. Harriet, access your archives and take us back to 1736 so we can find out what was really going on. Downloading
0: data? creating historical play
1: And so, Captain, my ocean-going clock is accurate to within mere seconds thus eliminating those
2: pesky months spent lost at sea Yeah The The thing is, Harrison we kind of like the part where we get lost Like, we bloody love it (laughs) Captain
1: But with current devices, it takes you four weeks to sail to Italy. Actually,
2: it only takes two. We just spend the rest of the time getting rat in Rome and working on our accents. <laughs> We're like,
0: oh, no, we've gone round in a circle and sailed right back to the pub.
2: <laughs> but using my clock, you can come back early. Early? Early? This is the 1700s, mate. Arrive early you're a coward. Arrive a year late summer somber with your balls covered in barnacles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they'll name a
2: potato after you.
1: <laughs> Captain, my clock could help you make accurate maps of, of the entire world. Maps? We don't want maps. <laughs> Columbus didn't
0: have map, did he? No, sir. All he had to do was sail west for a bit and, boom, he
2: discovers America. <laughs> then he finds the West Indies and spends six months having sex on the beach. It's a cocktail, apparently. <laughs> Go flog your clock to someone else. <laughs> like this Navy fellow.
0: Oh, Harrison, you old clock-womble. I can't find my
1: battle fleet and they're about to fight the Spanish. <laughs> No, no problem, Admiral. I'll work out where they are in a jiffy. Are you mad? The only shots I want to
0: face are twelve double vodkas in a flaming car. <laughs> now be a good chap and use your clock to help me find the most important body of water on the planet! The North Atlantic? No, the toilets, I'm busting for a wee.
1: <laughs> I think it's time we found out more about this episode's maker.
2: Good idea Lucy, but as you know I have a terribly short attention span so I'm only going to give you a minute. Challenge accepted. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: I bring you the life and work of John Harrison in only 60 seconds. Harriet, ready the timer. John Harrison was born on March 24th, 1693. He was the eldest of five children and grew up in Lincolnshire. His father was a carpenter and John learned woodwork from him. He was musical, he was the choir leader and also rang and tuned the bells at the parish church. At that time, everyone was a specialist, but John went against convention and combined different materials and skills and became a clockmaker. Other than woodwork, he was mainly self-taught. He copied a lecture series on natural philosophy by hand, including all the diagrams. He added his own notes in the margin. John invented many novel ways to help a clock keep regular time on a rolling sea and with changes in temperature. He was a perfectionist and was never satisfied with his work. The Longitude Prize Committee awarded him many monetary awards during the 36 years he worked on the chronometers. In in 1773, three years before his death, he got a final payment which brought the total to £23,065. He died a rich man and transformed navigation at sea. You
2: know what, Lucy? I think it would be cool if John were here right now. Good idea, bit
1: Harrier, hack into the dark web so we can all meet our maker. Okay, loading. Loading. Uh, loading, John
0: Harrison. Uh loading. Oh, he's here. Ah! <laughs> <Arr.
3: laughs>
0: John Harrison here. Skipping over the centuries to sing you a sea shanty. It has 68 verses. Representing the age I was before I had any bloody luck with the whole longitude problem. (laughs) I built clocks for ships, you see, which for some reason aren't called clocks, they're called chronometers. Ironically, I was born slap bang in the middle of England, as far from the sea as you can get in 1693. This is how we all sounded back then, by the way. (laughs) Oldie worldie. (laughs) Anyway, that oldie worldie was getting much smaller, thanks to the likes of me. I became known as John Longitude Harrison for my pains and that's what I need you to call me tonight like this I sing a line of the sea shanty John
3: Longitude Harrison
0: First, first one of 68 Oh, tell us the time on the rolling sea John Longitude Harrison Make it as accurate as it can be Because if the chronometer's not working properly We're all gonna die at the bottom of the sea We need to (laughs) know (laughs) how far we've gone John Longitude Harrison Ready for verse 2? My father worked as a carpenter John Longitude Harrison And I became a clockmaker John Longitude Harrison I taught myself all there is to know 20,000 pounds is an awful lot of dough <laughs> Trialled it in 1761 John oh, Harrison although my experiments were a success John, John Harrison chronometers were too great an expense John, John Harrison my inventions wider popularity came later in the 19th century about the same time as this kind of song John <laughs> oh, Harrison and now finally very 68, doesn't time fly when it <laughs> should bloody know. <laughs> now you've all got GPS, John, John Lodge, Harrison. You don't ever have to guess, John, John Lodge, Harrison. You don't know how very lucky you very are, but just how lucky you will feel in a driverless car. <laughs> It's a very different question.
3: John Lucy Harrison. John Longitude
1: Harrison. Oh, come on. What's wrong, Beck?
2: What's wrong? What's wrong? Right? I think you know, Lucy? Only that all location and navigation technology will destroy the world moment we're already seeing ways in which GPS can go wrong. And I don't mean when you change a satnav voice to Sean Connery's and it's a really horrible impersonation. <laughs> I mean more serious ways it can go wrong. Sure, sometimes it could be hilarious, like when a friend of mine got their car stuck in a field because they had Google Maps set to the walking option instead of driving. That's <laughs> <laughs> a true story. But most times it can be exceedingly dangerous. The next bit isn't funny, so I'm just gonna try saying it in Sean Connery's voice. With GPS systems <laughs> sending people down closed and hazardous roads resulting in their deaths. <laughs> there are short-term problems we should be worried about, like how social media can often show your location without you even realising, allowing stalkers to track you down, thieves to know when you're on holiday, or alerting my husband to the fact that I am not in a meeting with my agent, like our joint diary suggests, but in fact at Hamley's. Ah, playing with the piano mat. <laughs> Recreating that scene from Big. Again. <laughs> there used to be a time where you'd get lost in a city and stumble upon a secret bar down a hidden alley and the only way to find it again was to seek out a wise old woman so you could buy a magic ball of golden yarn from her and roll it down the street, <laughs> hoping it would lead you back. Nowadays you google secret bars near me and a gives you their location, but internal, external photos, their cocktail menu, their Facebook page, a list of your friends who have already been there, and an ad for the Etsy page of a wise old woman. (laughs) But it's the more long-term evolutionary problems I'm concerned with. The hippocampus is the area of the brain which we think is responsible for our spatial awareness and navigation, and not, as I had originally hoped, a university for hippopotamuses. A famous study of London cab drivers in 1990 showed that they had larger hippocampi than other people. This suggests that not only does our hippocampus grow with use, but that if we don't use our hippocampus enough, it will shrink. (laughs) You might be thinking, well, as long as we have Google Maps, is that really an issue? And sure, given that technology is obviously infallible, you're right. But the bigger issue lies with the belief that the hippocampus also plays a big role in creating and storing memories. By relying on technology for directions, we're essentially making ourselves more (laughs) dumber If our brains are getting smaller while our phones are getting smarter, then it stands to pass that eventually we will just become vehicles for our phones. Our gadgets will not only know where we need to go and how to get there, but why. We'll be reduced to zombies staggering around at the will of our smartphones, stopping occasionally to refuel on pulled pork and Netflix. (laughs) Humanity as we know it will become extinct. And if you ask me, our dependence on GPS is sending us in the wrong direction. And that is why it will ruin the world.
1: How about we play a game? Might make you feel better. I do like games, yeah. OK. The Earth is round and maps are flat, so distances between places are not always what they seem. To see if you two have a distorted sense of distance, we're going to play the game. No, that's nearer. I will give you some locations and you'll have to tell me which is the nearest. For anyone curious, we are using the great circle distances, which means we have to go around the Earth rather than through it. And unless stated otherwise, it's the distance from here, the Canal Café Theatre in London. Terms and conditions apply and your mileage may vary. (laughs) Uh So from here in London, What's closer, Berlin or Aberdeen? Beck. Um, uh, Aberdeen. It's actually, it is Aberdeen. Berlin is 589 miles away and Aberdeen is 393 miles away. However, if you ask the proclaimers, it's actually 500 miles (laughs) and then 500
2: more. (laughs) Cambridge or Oxford? Oh, they're both smart, aren't they? That's what I know. So, um, Oxford is further away
1: oh oh they are both
2: 48 miles what no it's i feel like was that planned (laughs) yeah i feel like what happened is someone went went to oxford and then they got the wrong direction and they're like well i guess i'll just start a uni here instead so last question from beck's nose who is closer harriet's
1: nose or lucy's nose
2: Give us a cheer if you think Lucy's nose is closer to mine. Oh! Give us a cheer if you think Harriet's nose is closer to mine.
1: This this is um, going to be good radio because I'm now getting a tape measure out, and Harriet's nose is growing is growing longer. 120 to you, That's but uh, so, so yeah yeah we go yeah um, we'll go there and Ooh, 129. oh 129. Well done audience. I'm just going to do that again, because I like it. Um, in that round, I think um, I won.
2: <laughs> so what do we think the future holds? I want to know when we're going to get teleportation. Well, you need an accurate clock for that. What, right, explain. So
1: like, the atomic clocks on board the GPS drift by 10 nanoseconds a day. And if you multiply that by the speed of light, then you could actually get your position out by 3 meters. So if your clock wasn't right and you were teleporting and it took a nanoseconds difference, then your cheesy grin might be in a very different place to your bottom. <laughs> oh,
2: or you'd have a really long bum. That's <laughs> how Kim Kardashian became, isn't it? We've reached the part of the show where we now
1: have to decide on whether location and navigation is our salvation or our damnation. Beck. Damnation, always. <laughs> Why
0: do you even ask her? <laughs> I just don't know. Um, I think it's going to be your salvation because I'm going to be your damnation. So,
1: <laughs> Audience, is location and navigation our salvation? Give us a yay. Yay! yay! Is location and navigation our damnation? Give us a nay. Nay! I'm going with uh, salvation. It was—it was definitely got more yays on the salvation. Yay! And with that, we've reached the end of the show. Aww. But there's just time for some listener messages. That's a great question, Sophia, and the answer is probably sooner than you think. <laughs> okay, well,
2: Sophia has just texted in to ask. How- <laughs> You think it'll be before we master time travel hang on wait a second <laughs> right, right. remember how long it took you to get that joke earlier they took like
0: no time <laughs> james from Moncton called to say are cctv cameras secretly designed to make people vanish because every time someone disappears there's always a video of them on cctv just before they go
1: <laughs> to you again chester
0: Oh, is it? I thought we we were doing Tom. Are we not? Okay. (laughs) Well, you might be. Great. (laughs) Great. (laughs) After the show. uh, This is not going where I want it to go. Um, (laughs) That's what Tom said. Um, okay, uh, Chester from Leicester, texted in. He is he is real. Um, texted in to say I downloaded I downloaded a new agoraphobic voice for my GPS,
1: but I don't recommend it as it won't stop screaming. <laughs> so there we have it. Another technology tamed. Another maker met. We've plotted a course through the seas of
2: location and navigation. And we've celebrated the life and work of John Harrison, the man who helped us know where the hell in life we are.
1: John.
2: Thanks everyone for listening,
1: and why not create your very own map that leads you straight to the next episode of History Makers! (laughs) History Makers starred Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill, and Harriet Brain. It was written by Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill, Harriet Brain, and Daniel Page, with additional material from Kate Hingsman, Stephen Mawinney, James Curran, and Pete Smith. History Makers is a Why Did the Chicken production recorded live at the Canal Cafe Theatre. The script editor was Stu Cooper, and the producer, Daniel
3: Page.